Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 66. It is the last week of April 2021. And as I record this episode, the fuel cars are testing at Lucas Oil Raceway. So if you think that you hear a top fuel burnout in the background or run, you have not lost your mind. That is exactly what you're hearing. Uh, As I sit in my house a little over a mile away, even with the windows and doors closed, I can hear uh, the sounds of 11,000 horsepower coming at us. And uh, that makes for a good day in my book. So Uh, Just wanted to clarify that. Uh, Also, I appreciate everyone's welcome back text, etc. Those are greatly appreciated. And certainly, any time you want to give me the I'm your Huckleberry reference, I am all about it. So keep those coming. Uh, A reminder to the new listeners, and we've had several new listeners Um, This has been great. Uh, From that standpoint, we've had new listeners come aboard. And this is just a reminder to them, this is a little different show. Uh, It takes a little bit of time, I think, to get the vibe, to be able to follow along, to get the timing down. It's okay. It's different. It's supposed to be that way. And it is going to take you a couple episodes. I always recommend... Uh, listening to three episodes before you make a decision on whether you want to keep following us or not. It's going to take you about three episodes to really get comfortable with how we get down here at the Fast Brackets Podcast. And in Fast Brackets Nation, it is cool. Welcome aboard, but hang in there. Give it time. And I promise you, after three episodes, you will be hooked. Uh, But guys, girls, today I am not going to ramble too much before we get started today because we have what are amazing guests today. As you know, and I well admit that I am not a historian of the sport per se. I love it. I appreciate all of those who came before us, but I am truthfully not a historian in the sense that I remember specific dates, times, or details that have made it so. And I'm like that with almost everything. I am very much so analyzing where we're at today, where we can possibly go in the future. Uh, but I'm I'm not a historic uh, historian in the sense that I remember very uh, specific details. I remember the general concept. Um, I remember concept like socialism is bad. It has been tried many times and has never been successful. But I couldn't tell you each of the names of the dictators that have tried to create such a hell on earth either. So um, I stand firm in my uh, operating procedure that way. That said, today we have two of arguably the greatest historians of our sport. Uh, And I am flat out excited to have them on. First up, Nitro Joe Jackson, curator of all things stat-related to top sportsman, top dragster, top alcohol dragster in Funny Car, stock and super stock. That'll be fun conversation that way. And then the Hall of Famer, Brett Kepner, simply the closest thing that comes to a walking, talking encyclopedia on our sport. 
those guys are going to be a blast. So stay with us uh, with that. So let's do it. Let's get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, work on the old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. Let's put this thing in the beams. A little bit different this week, but I could not resist to invite this next guest to join us. On with us now from Loudonville, Ohio. He runs the NitroJoes.com website, the Nitro Joes drag racing stats, the foremost authority on top sportsmen and top dragster stats welcome to the show nitro joe jackson how are you today joe i'm doing good rex how are you doing i'm excellent um i have been listening to fuel cars test all day long so you know that uh that can't be bad nope not at all i'm just still trying to thaw out from the uh freeze nationals at uh, st louis last week Right, right. Uh, you you made the trip to the uh, Division Three uh, year starter, right? But it got snowed out. Well, which... here, here's the deal. I had a stock super stock race I did in Xenia, Ohio. So I thought I would get a three-hour jump on things instead of driving back home and then driving back through and wasting six hours. So I thought, well, heck, I'll just drive on out to St. Louis and take my time and have fun, you know, and then last Tuesday was my birthday, so I thought, well, shoot, I don't want to be driving on my birthday, so instead I got to watch it snow about two two inches or three inches of snow and freeze my butt off trying to load the golf cart back up. Well, they canceled it. Yeah, I mean, you you know the you know the saying here in the Midwest, if if you don't like the weather, just hang around for another hour, right? That's Oh, uh, it's like that in Ohio, so yeah, I mean, it to me, yeah, it was a bad deal and all. It couldn't have been a better call from uh, Division Three in the track because the ground was so cold that the snow stayed on the ground, and I feel that you had never got that track anywhere warm enough to get cars down track safe the whole weekend. Right, yeah, and kind of coming off the issues that happened there at the end of last year, um, you know, I, th- I think those guys are – on the more conservative side, and rightfully so. Yeah, I think. Well, uh, you know, the, the sad thing about it, I hate to say it, the uh, the you had the, the fast cars going to be there. You know, the alcohol cars, top sports, top dragster, plus the darn timer cars of the super classes, which you know you got to build another starting line, a half track for those cars. Right, right, for sure you do. Right, I mean that. Uh, I think that was the first time I I ran super gas. I I was shocked at how hard the thing came off this the stop and and you're right that you almost have to build a second starting line for those guys yeah well that's a that's interesting well tell us a little bit about yourself um you do what is uh one of the you know the really important thing and what drag racing is built around in terms of the statistical side of that but how do you get to the point where you're you're managing all the stats for uh, certainly top sportsman and top dragster, but also top alcohol funny car and top alcohol dragster. 
Well, a uh, long time ago, I built databases, and it's just it became a good uh, thing where I got going, and I uh, have uh, good ties with NHRA where they give me the stuff that I need to do the stats with. And, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, something I do that, you know, I, I hear people all the time, well, I'm going to start doing stats and stuff. I say, hey, the water's fine. Knock yourself out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. I know that much. Oh, oh yes. I mean, right now I've been fortunate enough where it's only been one or two races a week so far. You know, we're in the, like I just got done doing uh, top tracks or top sportsman uh, stats from Valdosta. We're into the 10th race of the year already for top sportsman top dragster so right you know i mean uh, and uh, it, it'll start double on triple on up here directly the race as well that's right and when you started compiling all these stats is there anything that has uh maybe surprised you with the stats that you've seen since you see it every day that maybe you didn't but expect just, when you first started i never dreamed it would take some of these divisions, the bump that it takes to get in. I mean, right now, if I was somebody outside looking into wanting a top sportsman, top dragster car, neither class I would even think about. If I can't run 650, don't do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's now, don't get me wrong. I realize and there's racers out there going seven in the sevens and stuff, making it in the field. We're talking about some of the big fields that really – got some of these bumps you know what i'm talking about just uh, you know if i'm gonna build a car it's gonna go mid sixes you know so i know i can make it in anywhere I, i'm at right now the flip side is that is that the power adders out there today uh you know uh, what i would consider the, the you know the the mount rushmore of power outers you know the uh, the nitrous the blowers the the turbos the superchargers those it's easier to make that power than it ever has been. Oh yeah, I mean, look at the the dragsters with single fours with the uh, with the uh, the what are the pro chargers on there? I right. mean, look at the power they're making just with a single four. It's it, just hard to believe. It is really amazing, isn't it? Um, and and it's phenomenal how consistent those things are as well. And you know, they're not uh, not doing crazy maintenance to it either, which is which is uh, all pretty amazing, and what I think makes these classes even even more fun to watch and, and certainly compete in. Yeah, I miss this, this six flat bump deal in top dragster. I wish you know, I, I I really wish I wouldn't have moved it to six ten, but I understand the insurance deal. I kind of disagree on the deal. If you go faster than five ninety nine, you're out for the event. You know, that's kind of a little harsh to me, but. It is what it is, I guess, but it's a little harsh, I think. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, and certainly understand it. I think we all know the world we live in today, which is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, highly regulated and all that stuff, and that, that's good. But, um, yeah, I'm like you. I I wouldn't mind. Somebody uncorks it, and they just happen to, you know, it's fine by me. Um, you know, they're they're not going to go the round. They're not going to go another round anyway, so it, it's fine by me, I think. So, um, that that's that is interesting because I'm I'm with you on that one, but let's let's wind this back a little bit um, and talk about 
when, because you had an interesting perspective, I think, on the beginning of Top Sportsman and Top Dragster, because you were you were kind of in it at the beginning, weren't you? Yes, I was running IHRA a lot back then when Top Dragster, Top Sportsman first come out, and like I, uh, uh, when I first started running, they called it Quick Rod, and it wasn't the 890 class or nothing, they called it Quick Rod, and it, it was a mixture of the door cars and the Dragsters, Roachsters, Heck, I uh, ran a bunch of it with my Roadster, and back then I was only running 930s, 940s, and I could make it in. I mean, you couldn't even dream to think about making it in, nothing like that now. But uh, I know Brett Kepner's probably going to correct me on this one. I'm thinking it was like 84 or 85 when they uh, took it off the top sportsman, top dragster. They branched it out. I'm, I'm trying to think of sometime around there. When they branched off, because I ran top dragster again in '89, and I got in running 18s, 80s with my car, but you know you couldn't even dream about trying to make it in now running them kind of numbers. Yeah, those those days are long gone in terms of uh, in yeah. terms of those speeds. Um, I mean, and I think you know we're we're looking at a time coming up here where at least in the in the classes that are more uh, I don't want to say not popular, but more populated classes like the Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One. I, I mean, it's almost getting close to that six ten into. I mean, I don't know when that might happen, but it feels like it's coming up on us. You know where we have uh, look in in top sportsmen for this year already. Um, you're making me look at my stats real quick. <laughs> um, uh, Cameron Wright from Division Four. He's uh, he's already six ten with a four this year. Amazing with a door car, with right. a door car, <laughs> right? And, and Jeff Conley won the Vegas race here, uh, what last weekend or whatever? That's right. From number one qualifying spot, and he went six twelve along the way. Yeah, I mean, it just it's unreal. These guys are bracket racing going this fast. And I've talked to a few of them. Uh, uh, I try and think who who I talk to. I can't think of right now. But anyway, they told me that you don't look. You don't look at the other guy. They don't care who's saying what. You you're going to speed. You can't hardly look at the other guy. You're you're kind of looking out at the corner of that windshield. And that's about it. Right. I mean, at two hundred and uh, what was Jeff going? Uh, well, I know Darren right. Bosch qualified number one last weekend at two twenty seven. Jeff went two thirty two. Yeah. So at two hundred thirty miles an hour. You probably better be keeping your eyes on the road, right? You probably shouldn't be looking in the other lane at all. And, and yeah, that's, you ain't gonna see that other guy doing a brake check down in the lights like he did right. in Super Stock or that's any right. other class. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, rightfully so. So that's you know, that's that's good, and it is. I mean, it, it's a totally different. I, I, it's what I like about our classes is it's just a totally different animal than most of what. Uh, you know, most of what the other classes are. Um, and, and you have a firsthand view of that. I mean, you're doing the stats every every week. Um, and and you also actually, now the other guys, the, the stock, the super stock guys, have to buy your subscription to get the stats. But you publish the top dragster and top sportsman stats for free. Why is that? Uh, because people like Mick Snyder from uh, Snyder Motorsports and his new company, Elite Horsepower, uh-huh. uh, people like him have uh, 
paid for their advertisement in the stats or it's enough to, to make the stats free. I got the New England gear polishing that helps out, uh, Stuart Performance, uh, Brian Brow with the Brow Bell Housings and Ken Moses Transmissions. I mean, you get a bunch of companies helping out, and it just makes it nice to where these racers can get these stats free from my Facebook page. Oh, that's great. Yep. And and remind everybody what that Facebook page is. What do they have to search to, to pull that up? It's uh, it's under Nitro Joe. And now you're going to make me look real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I should know this, but I stay so busy. It's a oh, come on, computer. Yeah, I I know. I think it's okay, Nitro top, Joe's. It's Nitro Joe's top alcohol and top dragster, top sportsman drag racing stats. There you More go. or less, type in Nitro Joe, and it's gonna it's gonna pop up. Either you got the stock super stock page or the the top alcohol top dragster top sportsman stats but you got to be a subscriber to get on the stock super stock page gotcha. i got it set up as a private site i'm with you and let, let me ask this who who's the first person to call you nitro joe mike coughlin okay all right it was a deal i worked at jegs in uh 82 83 and 84 I've grown up with the boys i mean i've known them forever i mean we bought the car hauler off of them then they I was the one that found the car hauler. Now they're redoing it and everything. I was the one that found it in the farm field for them to go get. Okay. So, but anyways, back when I had my roadster, when I first had the roadster, it it, it went everywhere but straight. And <laughs> Mikey always said, "You look like an old nitro uh, fuel altered racer." He said, "We're gonna call you Nitro Joe," and it stuck. <laughs> I love it. I I love it. Um, the, though. More of the uh, fuel altereds, in my opinion, are a good thing. Uh, I, I think those mm -hmm. are awesome for, for all of us. Um, I want to say Jigs is my main sponsor for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they do a nice job. And, and truly, Jags does as good a job as any company does for the entire sport. I mean, I think those guys get what it all means to everybody, and they, they get that uh, we all – need this thing to work so we can enjoy our our hobby yeah one nice thing about when i quit jegs uh to move on to a, a lot better job then jake coughlin senior took me in the office and said hey remember one thing you're always family whatever you do we will help you ah, that's fantastic that, that is really fantastic because that that's not how you get everywhere i've, I've been to a, i've been in a lot of places of employment where you know if you turn in your uh, two-week resignation, you know they're like, uh, "Don't let the door hit you." You know that's good luck yeah, to you, but don't I'll let the know. door hit you. And everything that I've ever done, racing-wise, they've always been uh, one of my sponsors. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's go back a little bit to that first. You know when when top sportsmen and top dragster were first kind of getting. Uh, getting going what do you remember about you know in terms of what the what the racers were talking about thinking about where did they think this thing would end up um, you know anything that strikes out at you that something that you remember very vividly from those early days of top sportsman top dragster the main thing you got to remember when i started running uh even when top sportsman top dragster started there was no delay boxes 
or not delay boxes, but uh, yeah, delay boxes. Right. There's no delay boxes, and a lot of them were old comp cars that were, you know, uh, Dave Blair. Uh, he he won a couple top sports. Uh, well, they, they I think they were called top sportsmen at first before they called a top dragster. Uh, when everything was together, they still called it top sportsmen. Sure. When dragsters and uh, and uh, cars were running together, but he won. You know, and he had that Fiat Econo dragster, and he won it. You know, there was guys like Eddie Likens that won it with the uh, altered and stuff. But back then, there was no big motors. I mean, 500 cubic inch was big back then. Right. Right. I mean, I had a 477. I was running top dragster, and I thought I was big. <laughs> 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 right, yeah the uh, the the five point three bore space hadn't been developed just quite yet, huh? No, you know, I mean, it was just and just it it was pretty neat. You had people like Dave Elrod that was running and stuff. It was just it was it was really neat back then because you had a lot of cars show up. Right, yeah, it's um it, it's gotten um well. I think I think we've had some pretty good car counts, especially on the NHRA side. The PDRA has shown that top sportsman and top dragster is very much alive and well today. I mean, I think they've they had uh, almost I can't remember now. It's it was sixty some cars show up on the top dragster yeah, side. I did the, I, oh, that uh, by the way, I do PDRA top sportsman top dragster. Okay, too. yep. And then so you know, there's that they are getting huge fields rightfully so right and um i'm excited to go see their event in bowling green this weekend i think i think the big thing why they get quite a bit of good uh car count is because they run eighth mile i agree more more people are kind of on the eighth mile kick anymore for going fast than quarter mile i think I think you're absolutely right. I think they do two things. One is the eighth mile, right? That's a that's a big deal to a lot of people because we're just all a lot of people are set up to do that nowadays, and that is bracket mindset. And the other thing they do is they guarantee you that you're going to race if you show up. So you're not right. you're not going to be the 33 33rd qualifier and not get to race. You know, there's the elite you sixteen. Get to run that uh, the Elbrock bracket program that they got. Set that's up. right. If the worst comes to worst and you miss the elite sixteen and then you miss the next thirty two, you're going to least run in the bracket program. And I think that is, uh, you know, I don't know what the design all was, but I think that's a big deal because people know, hey, if nothing else. I have struggled with the combo or whatever it might be. I'm going to get to race and and stage and it up. Their payout is really good. It really is. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, too. their payout is good. I mean, it's you know, if you look at the payout and then look at the payout, what what the payouts for the divisionals are, it just you kind of shake your head at times. Right. Yeah, and I get it. Um, I know that NHRA has the insurance, and there's a lot of great things about the NHRA, but that is the that is a glaring thing that sticks out, and and certainly one of the things that we look at first as racers is the payout, and it would be, mm-hmm. I think we'd all appreciate that that top number being bumped up quite a bit. <laughs> I think it would all make us feel a little happier. Right. Yeah. But well, uh, like I say, uh, the uh, it's it, top dragster, top sportsman's come a long way. Like last year for my stats, I know I had over. Uh, 600 entries in top dragster and uh, uh, right over 400 in top sportsman for the year. Yeah. So, I mean, these classes are not hurting at all. I mean, 
NHRA should be so happy about these two classes. I mean, they're they're carrying themselves. I I agree. Yeah, it's it's great to see too. I mean, it, um, especially for guys like you and I that are really zeroed into these classes, it, it's been a lot of fun here these last couple of years. Well, I run up the bleachers when top strikes or top sportsmen's running at the divisionals. You'll see me up in the bleachers sitting watching. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance. We won't have it snow on us again here uh, for the next divisional. Um, I'm guessing you're, you guys run the Division Three series, correct? That's, right. That's what you guys do, yeah. So um, hopefully we get the snow out of the way and we have a, a full Division Three calendar here the rest of the year. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the next divisional is Norwalk. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll go to Bowling Green for the Open, but – uh, I know top sportsmen, top dragster don't run there at Bowling Green for the Open. Right. And what are you doing mostly with your racing operation now? Are, are you still driving, or what's your what's your role with the team? No, I, I mainly help my father. He runs two cars. He is in his 80s and running two cars. He's been racing since 64. And I love it. I just get a kick out of helping him out at every race, and I've just I've told everybody uh, – until he retires, I will follow him to every single race he goes to. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's a lifetime sport. That's the beauty of drag racing is that, uh, you know, somebody like myself who has bad knees, bad hips, whatever, we can still race and, and do it at a high level. So I absolutely love that. That's great stuff. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I raced for 17 years. I've had cerebral palsy all my life. And it got to the point to where I just, I was forcing myself to race, if you understand what I'm saying. It was not getting fun. I was forcing myself into the car. I mean, it was just, and in 1995, I just said I'd had enough. I I sold everything. I did and started doing the stat stuff and then started going racing with my parents. And I'm having more fun now than I was racing at times. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just... Well, that's what it's all about is have some fun, man. That's what it's all yeah. about. And um, and we certainly had fun with you here today. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, really good stuff. Um, guys, girls, if you have not, go to Nitro Joe's Drag Racing Stats on Facebook or uh, www.nitrojoes.com on the internet and uh, check those stats out because uh, Joe does such a great, great job with, with putting those stats together. And I've used them in the past for sure, and uh, we'll use them again. But, uh, Joe, thanks for coming on. Uh, wish you well the rest of the season, and, um, you know, we, we will catch up here again soon. Anytime, just like I say, anytime you need to use the stats, you use them. We'll, we'll do it. Um, the guys, girls, that was the great Nitro Joe Jackson, if you need him. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. But you knew that already. You knew that Ed Harney and the Drag Race Lawyer team are there for you. They understand they are drag racers themselves, and therefore they understand exactly what you need when you need it. So for all your high horsepower legal needs, go to DragRaceLawyer.com. First up, 
the NHRA had a Division II event, uh, SGMP, and that was uh, very well attended. Um, we had, uh, of course, top dragster and top sportsman. On the top dragster side, there were 22 cars that showed up, and your number one qualifier was Darian Bosch. He goes 6'11", 2", at 226 miles an hour in his Danny Nelson dragster. And your winner, though, was Brad Plored over Clint Riley. You may have remembered Brad came on episode number 30 to talk comp eliminator of the Fast Bracket Show. If you have not heard that, Brad was unbelievable. And he gave a great breakdown and, and real some real clarity on the comp eliminator uh, class and, and just strategy and how they approach that. So um, if you haven't, go listen to that. But Brad is really a bad dude in anything he straps in. Uh, but but And it was no exception here in Top Dragster in, in Georgia uh, last weekend. But Clint Riley was 003 to Brad 17 light, but broke out to give my man BP his 15th Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. So congrats to Brad, Brad Plord for winning. Uh, the top dragster event in SGMP. On the top sportsman side, there were 20 cars that showed up. And your number one qualifier, again, it stopped me if you've heard this before, Darian Bosch. He goes 622 at 227 miles an hour. So Darian gets the top spot in both top dragster and top sportsman in the same event. Very, very impressive in that Jerry Haas, Camaro of his, goes 227 miles an hour for the top spot. Really, really strong effort uh, by Darian down there. So nicely done. Um, and your winner, uh, after making it to the final, Vince Hoda, best Darian Bosch in the final. Vince's 009, one above four for a 13-pack in the final for the win, um, it gets it gets that win in the third Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. So congrats to Vince Hoda for grabbing the top sportsman Wally in SGMP. Also, there's another event that uh, we're going to talk about here real quick, was which was the Outlaw Streetcar Reunion that Tyler Crossno puts on. Um, and that was... At VMP, nicely done for uh, Tyler and his crew. That's mostly a heads-up event, but um, they did invite the top sportsman crew to come to that. It was a 16-car field, and it was four stacks to win that. I mean, what? Four rounds and winning 4K to win? I mean, that's that's a sweet deal, right? Uh, win, win four rounds, take home four stacks. That's a good weekend um, if you can get it. Uh, Derek Brown was your number one qualifier. You remember him coming on the show recently. Um, he goes 386.9 for the top spot at 191 miles an hour. But your winner was J.R. Ward versus Booty Harris in the final. J.R. Ward was not to be denied. His 12 light with a one above one on his 434 dial claims the cash and the bragging rights at the Outlaw Streetcar Reunion. So nicely done 
to all those um, at VMP and the Outlaw Streetcar Reunion, and especially to J.R. Ward for his victory there. Next week, I'll bring you the results from Bowling Green, where the PDRA is having their Door Slammer Derby. I'm actually going to make the quick trip over there to see everybody. So hopefully you can say hello and we get great weather. It certainly looks like it. So excited to see the PDRA event up live and personal. All right, let's get out of the groove here for just one minute. On with us now from St. Louis, Missouri, arguably the greatest historian in drag racing history. His accomplishments are seriously too many to list, but his most recent accomplishment uh, or contribution to the sport is as the 2021 International Drag Racing Hall of Fame inductee. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brett Kepner. How are you, sir? Well, thank you, Rex. I appreciate that greatly. I, uh, I still don't understand why the Hall of Fame induction happened, but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, I've, I've already asked a couple of people, uh, is there a mistake? And they keep saying no, so I'm letting it go. But uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, you and I uh, share a heritage at the uh, old St. Louis International Raceway, which I believe you were probably at uh, before you were born. And, uh, of course, later Gateway International Raceway and uh, a lot of racing in the St. Louis area. Great to be on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. It's uh, as, as you know, like when we talk about it going the other way at Gateway, and that's that's how old we are, you know, when it went the other way. So that's uh, it's always good stuff and, and fun to catch up with that. But let me start with the most obvious question uh, and one that I think we would all have for you, sir, is what's the number at this point? How many tracks have you set foot on in your lifetime? Interesting question. And I'm not sure if you know about my personal project that I've been involved with for 25 years, but they go, it goes hand in hand with the number 343. That's how many drag strips I've actually been to that I've actually set foot on. Uh, but my project has been to find chronicle confirm and chronicle every drag strip that was ever in operation. Wow. And that ought to be finished sometime around the second or third day after I die. (laughs) Right. It's been, uh, how many years did you say you've been working on this thing now? 25. There's four of us, uh, two guys from Canada, Tom Postuma and Ralph Ryder, and one guy from Virginia, John Paulette. Uh, we got together back in the earliest days of uh, internet, excuse me, internet satellite imagery, because all of a sudden we could actually look for where these tracks were instead right. of just you know hearsay and old stories. And uh, over the last 25 years, of course, technology has changed so drastically that now it's uh, it's amazingly easy actually with even just uh, the basic information to find a lot of these places. Uh, I will tell you something just because I like you so much, that I don't usually bring up in public. Uh, but first, I'm going to make you guess. How many drag strips? Let's let's just say in the United States, because this is a global project. Okay. But how many drag strips do you believe there have been in operation in the United States? 
Oh, that's a great question. I know that last time I checked, there were 299 in operation as of earlier this year, but I don't know what the number is ever. So if you've been Good. to... Th- yeah, I, I'm proud of you, Rex, because most people come up with an insane number that's either way too low or way too high. And you're actually smart enough to say, I don't have any idea because <laughs> quite honestly, nobody does. Ah. Uh, but rather rather than drag it out, there are over 4,500 drag strips that have been in operation in the United States. Really? Now... The, the, it's interesting that you should bring up the two the two ninety nine number because that's actually a pretty common number uh, for currently active drag strips. But in fact, with the sole exception of the first and second oil embargo years, which would be nineteen seventy three nineteen seventy three through nineteen seventy eight, with the sole exception of that period, since nineteen fifty seven, there has almost always been. 420 to 450 drag strips in operation. And as we sit here talking today, I can promise you there are 439 that are in action, that are active right now. Okay, I stand corrected. Um, well, that's that's good news. And, and an interesting uh, barometer, I think, for as many that, you know, kind of stay active all the time. Obviously, some come, some go, but but that's a that's an interesting phenomenon. Um, I, you know, you said you had been to 343, so my first instinct was just to say there was 344 tracks ever. But, well, yeah, uh, there you, no, no, a lot, of, a lot of the tracks that I've set foot on don't exist anymore. You know, they they disappeared since I've been there. So, right, uh, that's not active tracks. I've, I've raced at something like 141, and I've worked at just under 200. That's amazing. So. Yeah. That covers almost the whole 343. I've only been to a handful that I wasn't either racing or working. So it's a it's a, that's a little bit humbling for me because I made a trip um, a month or so ago to Florida and I hit four tracks and I was really proud of myself to hit four. And uh, so that... that's that's impressive. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you know, really... I, I have friends all the time that say, you know, oh, you've been to 343. Well, I've only been to 50, and I tell them. 50s a lot of drag strips man it, it is uh you know i'm i'm the example of the idiot who goes out of his way to find drag strips i'll i'll have you know coordinates marked down in my pocket when i you know go to a work at a track in i don't know pick a state you know north carolina because they got a lot of drag strips. sure i'll have uh, coordinates in my pocket and one trip to north carolina where i work you know saturday and sunday I'll, I'll visit six or seven drag strips over the weekend, you know, tracks that I have been to or tracks that I haven't been to. Uh, I'm, I go way out of my way to hit that number. So don't, don't be like me, kids. <laughs> um, how, I guess another question, how many have you been chased off of that don't, uh, that aren't in operation anymore? And somebody's wondering why you're wandering around. I, I, I have uh, inter- That's a great question. Interesting scenario. I have had the farmer with the shotgun situations happen on multiple occasions, but I have found, I've never been shot at, but I have found, you know, keep in mind that obviously if a farmer comes at me with a shotgun, I wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, so I'm, sure. I'm already trespassing and that, that becomes evident when he's holding the gun. Uh, but I found that if I just say, hi, you don't know me. My name is Brett Kepner and I have a hobby. I find old drag strips. As long as I can say that real quick before he does pull the trigger, 
almost invariably they turn around and say, oh, well, here's one right here. My grandfather ran it or whatever. Right. Uh, so, yeah, to disarm them both literally and figuratively, uh, I've actually gotten quite a bit of good information from the originally angry owners. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, well, that that's good stuff. So that's going to be in book form then. Is that right? That uh, oh, what you're putting together? Well, uh, look. Let me let me put it this way. Uh, this is not an exaggeration. I wish it was because it proves what I do with my life. Uh, about a week and a half ago, the project hit 1,250,000 words of text. Wow. At Arial, at Arial 14 font, which is pretty much what your normal email is, Yeah. Uh, that comes out to like 4,070 pages. So the answer to your question is, of course it's not going to be a book. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, actually the objective with our little four man group was simply to get a copy on the shelves of the national archive to explain what this whole mess was, not to people 50 years down the road, but to people 500 years down the road. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is a, it is a global project. And like I said, we have two guys from Canada. Uh, they want the same thing for the uh, Canadian national archives. And uh, again, numbers that I don't usually divulge publicly, uh, globally operating just under 1,000 right now. Okay, that's that's interesting. I didn't realize it was quite that yeah. high. So that's, yeah, um, yeah it's uh, a ever, ever since the internet, ever since the internet, people anywhere could find out how to run a drag strip and what you were supposed to do at one. Uh, to the point that there are now active drag strips, literally as of 2021, active drag strips in 127 countries, and that's out of 196 on the planet. I love it. I love uh, learning new things uh, that I didn't know before, and especially about uh, the world of drag racing. So that's that's great knowledge. So, um, well, you'll have to keep us posted in terms of when, you know, the, the real, um, you know, guys like us that really kind of get crazy on that type of information can dig in because I know you spent a lot of time and effort doing that 25 years. And I know that's part of your work, but still, um, but yeah, when, when it gets closer, come back on if you would and, and uh, talk a little bit more about that. But uh, yeah, I'm, Anytime. I am, you know, you were recently uh, inducted into the international drag racing hall of fame. Um, and, but so take us a little back. I mean, obviously that's a that's a huge huge deal, and you've been inducted to several Hall of Fames. But maybe give our listeners just a little bit of insight into the the very first time you got introduced to drag racing and kind of went on this this career. I mean, uh, that was um, a, a few years ago. I won't divulge the age, but I mean, a few years ago you were seventeen oh, or eighteen, <laughs> right? I'll bring it up. Well, uh, it depends. I'm kind of like you. Are you talking about first time you went to a drag strip or first time I raced or first well, no, time I worked? Or... No, when you when you kind of made the transition from, hey, racing is cool to, hey, I can make a living doing this. And wow, I'm pretty good at it, by the way. Well, to be honest with you, uh, my first race was the 1970 NHRA Summer Nationals. No, they weren't at Englishtown, New Jersey that year. They were at York, Pennsylvania, which was an airport. Uh, they went to English town in 1971. Uh, I was already into the sport then, and, uh, the age is never going to be a problem for me to forget because I was one month shy of my 12th birthday 
but I was a big, tall, langly, giggly, goofy kid. And uh, they didn't believe that I was under 12 to get in free. And my dad had to have a conversation with the uh, security guard. And, you know, it's not like anybody carried their birth certificate back then. So uh, I, I did end up getting in free. But the point uh, being, I was not yet 12, but I was already reading the magazines and paying attention. Uh, pr- pretty obsessively, I might add. Sure. Uh, and, and very shortly after that first race, I pretty much wanted to be involved in the sport for a living. And, uh, I ended up having a penchant for journalism in school. And that's the route that I decided to take, uh, cutting, uh, moving forward in the, in the history, uh, to 1976, I started working at St. Louis international raceway family moved from Pennsylvania to Missouri. And, uh, started stringing results to the old Metro East Journal in East St. Louis, which uh, I'm aware of. Yeah. Long gone now. Yeah, and, uh, and later to this Post-Dispatch and the, the Globe Democrat and all the local newspapers. At the same time, I was also sending race manuscripts to pretty much every magazine and newspaper in drag racing, you know, the actual trade publications, mm-hmm. uh, with... I, I guess the goal of someday working for Superstock and Drag Illustrated magazine. Uh, I was only sending the editors these manuscripts just so they'd see what I was doing. I didn't expect any of it to be published or anything like that. Fast forward another year to 1977 when during the AHRA Gateway Nationals, which was a national event back then at the old track in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, I met Jim Kelly, the editor of Superstock and Drag Illustrated magazine. And he said, when I introduced myself, aren't you that kid that keeps sending me all that crap? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, I was elated that he, you know, even looked at her or saw it, you know, on its way to the garbage can. Right. And after, after we talked for a little bit, uh, he said, how would you like to cover the C, uh, the AHRA nationals at San Antonio next month? Well, of course I'm going to cover the, the, you know, how much do I have to pay you, sir? Um, that's me talking to him. <laughs> right. uh, I, I was I was going to college at the time for a journalism degree, but my goal was to work for Superstock Magazine. So here I am being offered the job at Superstock Magazine. Forget about the fact that it paid only ten dollars more than the round trip was going to cost. Uh, you know, th- this was it. I made the big time, quote unquote. Sure. Uh, so I I dropped out of college. I bought every journalism book I was going to have. Uh, for the next four years, I still use them to this day, dog-eared as they are, and that started my journalism career. Simultaneously, because I was working at the AHRA races and still, when I was home, going to St. Louis International Raceway, I fell into the, to announcing, which is the only way anybody ever gets into announcing in drag racing. Uh, I was at St. Louis International one night racing my 66 Barracuda, and I had lost early. I was up in the timing tower talking to the announcer. His name's Roger Monroe, still a good friend of mine. And uh, Roger said, uh, hey, I got to take a leak here. Take over for a minute and handed me the mic. Well, when he came out of the bathroom, he realized that I was talking. Uh, so he decided to go hang out with his buddies for an hour or so and then came back, and I gave him the microphone. That was the end of that. A couple of months later, Roger Monroe got an offer to ride a pro-stock motorcycle full-time, and suddenly the track was without an announcer. Enter Jody Trover, the track owner, and his brother Phil, who said, hey, I need an announcer. You used to announce, didn't you? And I said, well, I did once. (laughs) And if I remember correctly, 
the class I was racing in paid $50 to win. Yeah, it was $50 to win and $25 runner-up. And uh, he said, I'll give you $25 a night. And I thought, better than getting my butt kicked in the second round. Right. So right. I started I started announcing. When the AHRA Gateway Nationals came to town in 1978, I worked that event announcing with John Lundberg, of course, you know, one of the greatest announcers that ever lived. Sure. Uh, who was the AHRA announcer that got me hooked up to announcing AHRA and then UDRA and then NHRA and then IHRA. And then in 1985, uh, the guy that was doing the pit reporting for the IHRA drag racing TV shows on ESPN, which was the only drag racing on ESPN back then, uh, decided he was going to leave and, uh, become a pit reporter for formula one. And he didn't leave, he didn't leave much notice. And the guys in the truck who, you know, were there covering the race uh, asked Ted Jones, the vice president of the IHRA, you know, hey, you got anybody that might be interested in this gig? And Ted turned me on to them. I started working for uh, ESPN in 1985, and I stayed with them for whatever the heck it was, 27 years, I think. Uh, Pretty good good run. Switched to Fox. Well, the only reason I stopped was because – when ESPN lost NASCAR, they basically stopped doing motorsports. Uh, and that caused me to move over to Fox. And uh, I worked a couple of different networks for a period, but I ended up being with Fox uh, for 11 years and did the NHRA Pro Modified shows from 2001 through 2017 before they took it in house. That, my friend, is the quickest I've ever recited my history to anybody. Uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, along with racing, and, and I had a drag racing school in there, which I think you probably know about. I do, yep. Uh, and uh, other than that, it's just been writing and announcing. Uh, and I really don't draw much of a line between the two. Well, I've, that uh, that's I think it's probably, for at least a lot of our listeners, maybe um, – the most fun way to make a living. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, if you always thought it was fun, but from our standpoint, uh, just even following you with, with, uh, what you're doing and being around the sport. I mean, it seems like, seems like the way to do it, you know, um, to, to be around drag racing. And so I've, I've got a couple other questions here, um, for you in your opinion, who makes a better race car Hertz or Avis? Actually, it depends on who has the best price of the car that's good. <laughs> right. Uh, you thought you were going to get me on I that. I did, you? yeah. It was, a, it was a trick question. If, I should have known better. If there's a Toyota Corolla, which right now is last four years has pretty much been one of my favorites. Uh, if there's a Toyota Corolla at Hertz, Avis, or Dollar, I'm going to Dollar because it's going to be half the price of Hertz and Avis. Of course, yep. Well, there you, there's your answer. Yeah, you're you're of course um, uh, famous for renting, uh, you know, going to the rental car place, renting a car, and then you know, winning money, drag racing, taking it to a strip in a in a complete street car, and uh, that I've always thought was just amazing. And you know, putting the AC on, driving it back with the cash in your pocket seems like a pretty good way to drag race, in my opinion. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but I will tell you this. The the way to race the rental cars 
for me was to find a good one and then rent it every single week, no matter where I went. And, in, you know, again, if you're on the road every single week, uh, you know, four, four out of the seven days of the week, it's you're actually in it more than you're in your own car. And you learn how the car reacts just as you would if you were driving this, you know, your own car seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, so even though, you know, I changed models uh, through the years, uh, at one time I was partial to the Cadillac sedan deliveries when the North stars first came out. It was the quickest and fastest thing you can rent. Uh-huh. Those cars, those cars in the 1990s would go in the 14s, which was uh, unheard of back then. Right. Uh, now, now you're hard pressed to find something that doesn't have, uh, <laughs> e- enough power to smoke the tires, which is the problem. You know, you, yeah. you want to buy something that can't spin the tires, uh, and, or you, I said, buy. You want to rent something that uh, can't spin the tires, and most everything now makes over 200 horsepower. So, when you combine that with the fact that the rental car companies like to use literally cast concrete tires, you know, <laughs> right, to try and right. try and get 200,000 miles out of them, you know, of course, uh, it, it's not a good combination. So, no, that yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we we talk. Top sportsman, top dragster here, obviously. Um, do you have a, a favorite moment or even thoughts on on our classes um, about what you're oh, seeing today, good, which great. is just amazing in a lot of ways? You have to remember, I was involved with top sportsman and top dragster a decade before they were became anything other than an NHRA Division II program, um, which that was the first – place that nhra decided to experiment with them because the ihra was based you know mostly in the southeast so bill holt the uh, division two director decided to add it as a showcase eliminator it was you know certainly not a national event program that was top sportsman only at the time uh you know top sportsman almost from its start split everything between the cars you really like to watch and the people who are really good bracket racers Mm-hmm. Uh, Top Sportsman started in 1976 as a class called Street Rod. It was a qu- this is an IHRA now. Uh, it was a quick 32 bracket race qualified on okay. ET. Yep. Um, it later changed its name to Quick Rod, which a lot of people remember was later the name of IHRA's 890 class. Super yep. Comp. That's right. Uh, it was called Quick Rod and IHRA. Uh, it changed from Quick Rod to top sportsman in 1984 uh at the time top sportsman included dragsters big blocks and small blocks alders and door slammers uh but also in 1984 people like charles carpenter uh a few others lee weller actually had a supercharged corvette in 1980 that went in the sevens which was the first seven second door slammer and top sportsman but charles carpenter's original 55 chevrolet and a couple of other cars became just ungodly popular so a lot of people were showing up just to watch those cars run really big numbers whereas you had you know danny bastianelli winning the class you know with a a a high eight second dragster and and deadly bolts yep um in 1987 everything changed when bill coleman became the first to go 200 miles per hour in a passenger car uh, and a whole mess of cars, Rob Vandergrift, Blake Wiggins, Ronnie Sox, and everybody else that was involved in top sportsman door slammer racing at that time, 
really, really separated themselves from the bracket racing class. Because when Bill Coleman ran 200 miles per hour, he did it in qualifying, 202 to be exact, and came out in the first round of, uh, on Sunday and had the bracket race. <laughs> A, right. seven, a 720 at 202 miles an hour car, which was something nobody had ever done. Yeah. You know, not even close. Uh, so uh, at that point, Ted Jones, vice president of the IHRA, separated the four quickest qualifiers in 1987 for a shootout program on Saturday night that was a heads up, no breakout deal. And. Uh, in 1988, it became a quick eight shootout. In 1989, it continued being a quick eight shootout until the end of 1989, when Ted actually set up a quick 16 race uh, at the very last IHRA points meet, which was at Atco, New Jersey, at the end of 1989. And that was the test event for the class that debuted in 1990 called Pro Modified. Uh, right. Uh, yep. So... There's one, the, the, the whole reason I went through that is because there's one aspect of top sportsmen that a lot of people don't realize. Even the old timers who were there often forget this. Prior to 1987, when Bill Kuhlman went 202 miles an hour, uh, there were a lot of door slammers going 193. However, there were also a lot of big block dragsters. Nobody was supercharged back then. They were all injected. Uh, only a handful even ran nitrous. But there were a lot of big block dragsters that were also going 190 and 191. Mm -hmm. And Ted knew, Ted Jones knew that nobody was going to care if a big block dragster be became the first 200 mile per hour top sportsman car. So in 1986, Ted banned big block dragsters from top sportsmen. You could run a big block altered. You could run a small block dragster, but that was it. Uh, as okay. Top Sportsman became more and more of a 32-car uh, qualified door slammer show, it wasn't until 1991 that Ted, in turn, created Top Dragster Eliminator and took all open cockpit cars out of Top Sportsman. Got it. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and also, of course, also, of course, reinstated... Uh, the big block dragster. Yep. So in 1991, one of the very first things that happened uh, with the new top dragster class happened at the uh, Empire Dragway in Leicester, New York, national event up there called the Empire Nationals. Uh, a guy named Buddy McGowan showed up with a super streamlined uh, Luxan canopied injected 615 cubic inch 23t with nitrous oxide injection and he went 696 and that got everybody paying attention to top dragster i bet it did yeah uh, and uh it, it really kept the two separate because top sportsman once pro modified was created in 1990 top sportsman went back to being a bunch of high seven second uh, mid eight second cars because all those seven flat 200 mile an hour cars went into pro modified. So right. it, it really reshaped everything. That's when the NHRA, don't get me wrong, it wasn't like they were ignoring it or they didn't know what was going on. They were paying plenty close attention to top dragster and top sportsman, but it took them almost 10 years to really adopt those classes. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and just talking about kind of the, 
the fluctuation in how the class has evolved because um, it did. It, uh, a lot of people decided to go to pro mod, right? And then you had the the other top guys that stayed top sportsmen. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that again here now, I think. I mean, you're getting – uh, where Absolutely. we've got all these people that are running right up against that 610 minimum. Um, and then you've got other people that are, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say fall back. That's not even the right word when you're talking about the speeds and the times that, that we're running right now. But there is a delineation, and I think that's what the PDRA has seen and that they've got their elite top sportsman, top dragster with that quick 16, and then they've got the next – version and that's so that's really interesting in terms of um you know what is old is new again in some ways well i honestly believe and and this is an opinion which i usually try to stay way way far away from ever voicing my opinion sure on something. okay but we're, we're talking about what might happen in the future so i'm going to go out on a limb here yeah uh i i personally believe that within three years top dragster at the biggest national events uh, will probably become as close to a 610 index class as you can possibly imagine. You know, two years ago at the U.S. Nationals, we watched that class uh, present a 32-car field spread from 610 to 623, and it was absolutely astonishing. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I mean, the burnouts, the wheel stands, it was like watching Top Fuel in 1975. I mean, it was just amazing. The numbers were even almost exactly the same. Yeah. But as much of a great show as that is, uh, what are you going to do with, like you said, the other 99% of the cars that are racing out there? Uh, trust me when I say NHRA isn't going to add an, a, an elite class, or I shouldn't say elite class. They're not going to add the secondary class like PDRA does. Right. Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen with top dragster, top sportsman completely different scenario because there's very, very few cars capable of going quicker than 650. Uh, so we've got a lot more. And again, a lot of that's because once you go quicker than 650, you may as well buy a pro, a build a pro modified for <laughs> right. the yeah. same quarter million dollars that you're going to spend a bracket race. Yeah. Uh, but top sportsman's still a ways off with top dragster. You know, the pro chargers changed everything. It's so easy to make power. It's so easy to make consistent boost mm -hmm. at a low temperature instead of, you know, trying to make our roots do something. Uh, and, and you and I and everybody in Top Dragster that's listening to this know full well the only two things that are keeping Top Dragster from becoming another top alcohol dragster is the automatic transmission rule and the 610 cap. Right, right. You know, it, it doesn't matter about the blowers anymore. You know, back when they said, you know, you can't have anything bigger than a 1071, yeah, that kept people in a certain ballpark. With the Pro Charger, you know, you can make the kind of boost you need with a 5,000 horsepower car now. Pro Mod proves it. The, the Pro Charger owns the ET record in six different Pro Modified Associations as we speak. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I saw him early this year down in Orlando and, you know, the, um, it, it was just, it was phenomenal how much power they make. And can you even yeah. imagine, uh, like 30 years ago when you were first covering top sportsmen, top dragster, all the, you know, this stuff. And if somebody was said, Hey, in a couple of years, um, these guys are going to be running six ten and driving the thing back to the pits. I mean, they would have been laughed out of the, out of the, you know, 
<laughs> out of the track, right? If you said, oh, yeah, you're just going to drive it back, too. It's no problem. I mean, it's it's well, amazing. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The, one thing that uh, the average fan doesn't really understand, uh, a 610 in a quarter mile does not equate to a 365 in the eighth. In other words, the PDRA cars in the eighth mile are running numbers that people wouldn't even believe if they made full quarter mile laps. Right, right. Yeah, they uh, were. So, and, and you know, the one thing a lot of people don't realize as well, before the IHRA collapsed under its own weight, uh, its top sportsman did not have a cap. I'm sorry, its top dragster class did not have a cap. And the IHRA top sportsman record, even though there was never really such a thing, is 568. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And that, that was years ago. Uh, God, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Ben Salier. He's from Trin- Trinidad. Uh, they used Five. to ship the car over, and he, he'd race it a couple of times uh, during the year. But he went 568. Eddie Caricia, it had to be 10 or 12 years ago, Eddie Caricia went. 245 miles an hour in IHRA top drags. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was uh, scrubbing some on the top end, though, just to make sure he didn't break out, right? Uh... <laughs> he was whomping it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the class is very, very impressive, and, and I certainly appreciate it, and I think I know our listeners do as well, uh, taking us back just a little bit and helping us have a little better appreciation for the history and, and where this thing started. Um, I don't do this very often, and but Brent, I have a thing where um, we do a podcast certification, kind of like you get certified um, chassis certifications, and that allows you to come back whenever the heck you want for whatever reason. And so yeah, we're gonna, yeah, yeah. Just, we're gonna just give tell you me, the, just tell me how much. Just tell me how much the sticker is. Yeah, that, that's no, no. It's uh, we're gonna give it to you. Podcast certified. Bam! Right here today, uh, Brent Kepner. Oh, I appreciate that. No, it's, that's that was fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, we're gonna. Um, yeah, we'll have to have you come back because uh, I just I love hearing about some of that stuff that um, you know it, it seems like a, a long, long time ago, but um, but it's really important I think for all of us to kind of understand where where this stuff came from and, and where we're at today to be uh, really to be, to be pretty uh, proud of where we're, we're all at as a group. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I really have strong feelings about top dragster and top sportsman. I've watched them both since their very inception. I was elated when the NHRA uh, adopted the class and thank goodness they did because of course the IHRA, like I said, doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a big thing. Uh, PDRA is doing uh, tremendously well. Keeping in mind, of course, that you know the only reason you're getting 80 cars at some of their events is because they're in the middle of where all the top dragster and top sportsman cars are. They're right yep. in that Delmarva area, uh, you know, Virginia, Delaware, and uh, Maryland, and uh, there's just tons of cars in that area. But that's that's great. You know, I don't care where they come from. You know, the fact that uh, j- just uh, the, the first race this year at uh, Virginia, PDRA had, I think it was 
65 cars under five flat in top dragster. Right. It was amazing. Yeah. And give the PDRA credit, I think, for capitalizing on that as well. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, associations or promoters, they kind of miss. And uh, and I think PDRA has done as good a job as any. And I'm uh, excited to go check them out in Bowling Green this weekend. But uh, Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the weather doesn't look tremendously good but let's hope that uh, they can get through it i know the uh, the giant storm cells are coming through uh, oklahoma right now so maybe they'll get through uh, kentucky by by friday i hope so could you do us a favor and maybe stop them in st louis so that we can race in uh, bowling green that'd be that'd be really nice of you me. know it's 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 twister season here in st louis <laughs> and you of all people know what twister season uh, in st louis is like so it may stop here on its own right right uh, right well uh i stay- really appreciate you having me on and and like i said thank you so much for the opportunity uh i, I really like what you're doing and uh anytime you got any questions or anything just let me know no that's that's great uh thanks for coming on uh appreciate your time and and uh guys girls that is the hall of famer Brett Kepner, if you need him. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, it was 24 years ago this week that Warren Johnson made the first 200 mile per hour pass in a pro stock car. It was a Friday night at VMP. I understand the weather was perfect. And WJ goes 689.4 at 200.13 miles per hour. That was in April 25th in 1997. I was a young buck back then. My knees, ankle, back, they, none of that stuff hurt. It was great to be alive, and WJ takes his GM performance part Pontiac into the 200s for the first time ever in a pro stock car, and that that was really pretty special. Um, uh, Those of you are probably like me in that pro stock was really the class that uh, a lot of us kind of aspired to. And, uh, and that was just really, really exciting. WJ himself uh, was recently quoted as saying, it wasn't significant because it was a milestone. It was significant to me because I was determined enough to do it, able to tap into all the technology that's out there and able to apply it to what I was doing, uh, which is, you know, that's what stands out to me more than anything, which is really interesting. Um, and I think Above all, uh, Warren has a really unique uh, mental approach to everything he he does, and um, I'm excited to read the soon-to-be-released biography by Kelly Wade uh, called Warren, the Professor, Professor Johnson, the Cars, People, and Wins Behind His Pro Stock Success. Um, and that release date is scheduled for about a month away, uh, May 20th, uh, 2021. Um, I know Kelly had really good access to WJ for his biography, and I love reading biographies to begin with. Uh, I find them to be really inspirational. I think sometimes we assume that uh, people are born into a certain situation and they didn't have any struggles or whatnot. And so I've always found inspiration in biographies and and uh, you know other things like that that are real life. 
Um, so I just assume that this is going to be amazing. Uh, Kelly does really good stuff. Um, she, of course, has Winlight News. So if you have not checked out her stuff or read any of her stuff, do that. It's really great. And uh, the Winlight News really is a primarily focuses on sportsman racing. So that's, that's great stuff from that standpoint. Um, I do know that you can pre-order WJ's book on Amazon. Uh, so that's good. I think it's, uh, you know, mid-30s dollar price point. So really economical that way. And also, uh, I do know this, that if you want a signed copy, I understand there's a pretty simple process to make that happen. So that would be extremely cool as well for uh, gifts or just for your own bookshelf. Um, but I just think about the pro stock class in general. And a lot of us growing up, you know, truly thought, thought the world of that class. Um, and I'm assuming that there's a significant portion of the top sportsman crowd that runs a door car specifically because they got down with pro stock. Um, and to think, you know, of all the time, energy, effort, and brain power that has been put into these cars, and the, and they're really only a four tenths of a quicker than they were a quarter of a century ago. Um, you know, there are other classes that have made huge, uh, you know, forward steps in 25 years, but horsepower is hard to come by on the natural aspirated side. And in my opinion, there are you know very few people that have done it better than Warren Johnson and um, excited to read that book. And congrats to him again for holding that historic moment 24 years ago, going 689.4 at 200.13 miles per hour for the first time ever in a pro stock car. All right, let's bring this thing back. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Um, guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 66. Let's take a little peek. There it is. There's the wind light. Of course we got the wind light. And Gloria, my man Chris, coming in right on time. I like it. Um, guys, girls, we had a great week this week. We literally had two of the greatest historians of all time in our sport on Nitro Joe Jackson and the Hall of Famer Brett Kepner. So a huge thanks goes out to both of those icons for coming on and talking drag racing with us. Um, that was just a boatload of fun and uh, maybe I can convince them to come back on at another time later this year. That'd be really, really good for all of us. Um, guys, girls, if you have questions, comments, curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. First of all, you can do it on the Facebook page using Messenger. You can wander around outside without a mask on until you see me. And you can use the email fastbracketsatoutlook.com to hit me up. I'll answer all of those. But uh, hey, this was a great episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
anything about uh, Nitro Joe's Roadster back in the day. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm um, really maturing in 2021, Chris. Um, that is, what you're seeing from me today is the kinder, gentler version of Rex Simmermaker. And, uh, you know, like, plus, plus, that was a long time ago. That was, like, 25 years ago or whatever, so at, at a minimum. So I think the statute of limitations has run out on the Roadster. So I, I think we're good. I, I think we, we pulled it off. Again, no Roadster talk whatsoever. 